Imagine learning in a small group intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more. I want to continue to work towards an environment where everybody can be appreciated, everybody can be understood and heard for who they are um, in this world. Welcome to Vet Life Reimagined. I was introduced to our guest today, Dr. Serena Nehi, by my good friend Stephen May, who was a previous guest on the podcast. And I was amazed by Serena's passion and all the work she is doing to support veterinary medicine. She graduated vet school in 2020, so this was in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Not only was she dealing with a pandemic, she will share how she faced discrimination by her very own classmates and professors in vet school and how she found a tribe of supporters. Right out of vet school, she founded a nonprofit called Chapter 8, focused on providing support for marginalized pet parents and veterinary professionals. Serena will talk about intersectionality, which I actually had to look up and make sure I fully understood this term. So intersectionality is the interconnected nature of social categorization, such as race, class, and gender as they apply to a given individual or group regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. There's a lot of interesting parts to Serena's story, but one thing I caught was that she had an early interest in public health that was a little sidetracked with the pandemic. But now she lives out such a unique way of supporting public health that it's beautiful. And she talks about how happy she is. No matter where you are in your veterinary journey, Serena will share actionable tips on how you can get involved. Even if you take one of these tips, it will make an impact. So much in this episode. So here is Dr. Serena Nehi. When did you know that you wanted to get into veterinary medicine? First of all, I just want to thank you for this opportunity. And I also want to say that you're an inspiration to me as well. It's always wonderful to see, you know, women moving this industry forward and doing good things, being essentially leaders for others to be motivated by. So I I really appreciate your presence in, in this field as well. Yeah. So I would say my, I guess, origin story (laughs) starts. With really the human animal bond is what drew me to veterinary medicine and having that respect for animals at an early age and wanting to be a part of that bond that really highlights mutual respect. That is kind of what drew me to that. And what made me stay was a lot of different reasons. I think as time went on, I was really interested in you know public health public health policy as well because i was interested in how that human animal bond you know influenced the health of animals as well as humans um, and how we as veterinarians can kind of promote public health in, um, in general and 
I would say my, my personal experience has definitely tied into along the way how my career has changed over time as well. So I am very Indian American woman and there's not many of us, I would say, in this field. And growing up, I, I know personally, I didn't really feel like there was a, an environment that fully understood all aspects of my identity. And that kind of followed me throughout professional school as well. So what ultimately has made me want to continue forward in this field is being able to create a space still really focused on uh, what brought me here in the first place, which is mutual respect and creating an environment where multiple groups can feel welcomed and appreciated for who they are. While I wanted to continue uh, you know, a career in, in veterinary public health, fortunately due to the pandemic, I ended up going back up to Indiana instead of uh, being able to pursue a master's in public health, which ultimately I'm thankful for. I think that there's a reason that everything happens in, in our lives. So I was able to you know, spend time with my family, which I appreciate. And I really was able to reflect on you know these experiences that I've kind of had throughout my life as well as throughout my professional career. And that's kind of how I decided to uh, found Chapter 8, where the Roman numerals 8, or VIII, stand for Veterinary Inclusion and Intersectionality Initiative. So that is a nonprofit founded to enhance accessibility among marginalized communities, both on the pet parent as well as veterinary professional end, kind of highlighting the intersection of marginalized pet parent as well as veterinary professional communities and doing so by way of accountability, accessibility, and art. And so at this time, we have you know three different pillars that we're focused on. One would be professional education. Another would be inclusive community education. And the third would be uh, financial resources for marginalized pet parents who may not be able to afford the low-cost care that's available or may be in need of more than what you know, low-cost preventative care can provide. So that is where we are at now with, with chapter eight. And I'm really, really proud of how far we've come. And that I would say is still what keeps me going is being able to promote accessibility in this field and, and promote, like I was saying, the foundation of what drew me to that message is mutual respect. Because ultimately that that's what's most important to me is being able to I show respect and, and be able to empower other communities that may not have had the access to do so in the first place. Oh, goodness. There's so much that I, I want to ask <laughs> back to even into vet school again, because you said you moved back to Indiana. You, mm-hmm. you went to undergrad at Ohio. You went to vet school at the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. So what took you to the University of Georgia? Um, so <laughs> I was really scared to move to Georgia initially, you know, you kind of have this idea of what it, what it's like to move down South and just culture shock and, and such. So I really didn't want to <laughs> move to Georgia, but I am very, very glad that I did. I've met some amazing people here. And I think that you never really stop learning throughout life. I think that ultimately you're, 
kind of failing <laughs> at life if you if you choose not to learn anymore. So I ended up coming down here because I received an amazing opportunity, which was a scholarship to the University of Georgia, so an in-state scholarship. And I do really appreciate that a lot. I know that it doesn't happen all too often. And I appreciate that UGA had an eye for that. It really, really helped out financially for me. Of course, I still have loans like anybody else, but less so compared to what an out-of-state student would have looked like. So ultimately, what drew me to Georgia was financial reasons. And I would highly encourage anybody who is <laughs> you know, going to veterinary school and, and try to figure out where to go to really strongly prioritize the financial impact um, that it's going to have because it is big. And it's a very important thing to think about with making that decision. And you graduated vet school for in 2020. So that was, mm -hmm. the, you know, you were going through yeah. your clinics probably in, in the pandemic years, like as in mm -hmm. like the worst part. And then you also mentioned you are already yeah. exploring being unique in, in your setting. <laughs> so do you mind speaking a little more to the the vet school years? Because I, I do know we, we have pre-vet and vet students who listen to the podcast. So do you mind sharing a little bit more about your experience in vet school? We would like to thank our sponsor, Vet Badger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, Vet Badger provides all the communication, team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in Vet Med, Vet Badger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit vetbadger.com and find the link in the description below. Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest things that I was scared of with um, moving down south was definitely, you know, as a person of color, not really being taken seriously. And I think it's a really unfortunate thing that a lot of people of color face, which is that you have to, you know, do better than everybody else to like essentially try and prove ourselves and prove our worth for being there. And it's not fair and it shouldn't happen, but it is a, a common feeling for a lot of us. And so when when I got to school, I knew that there would be kind of some not so nice feelings about me being there because I knew that it, it because I got a scholarship. So I realized pretty quickly that if certain people knew, then I would be told that I only got into school because of the color of my skin or I only got, you know, the scholarship because of the color of my skin. And again, I, I really felt like I wanted to do the absolute best I could with what I was told as well. I worked really, really hard my first year to get like all A's. And after that, I worked to become the class president of our class. And I was really, really thankful for that opportunity as well. And I think that really tied in with, you know, me wanting to go into public health policy as well. So there are definitely certain experiences that 
you can take on in veterinary school that that can influence uh, where you're going to be at and what type of opportunities you can be ready for later on. I think that that really taught me a lot about leadership and communication skills too. But I I would say that a lot of what <laughs> a, a lot of what I did uh, really felt like trying to prove something to people who, who didn't necessarily believe that I deserved to be there. And I think that that is also something that I have discovered is, is a common experience with, again, with other marginalized groups too, and something that I want to change over time. That's a big part, again, of, of why Chapter 8 was founded too, is to be able to create a space where intersectional um, identities are welcomed as well as made it feel like they belong. So that is a big reason of uh, why I keep going is because of the experiences that I had in veterinary school. I, oh gracious, I, <laughs> I'm a little lost <laughs> for words because first of all, I do, I love this profession. I, I think there are so many wonderful things about it. And I also, therefore, hold a lot of the people within the profession to a very high standard. We're still human. (laughs) But it really hurts to hear when someone in the profession does anything to hurt someone else, like a fellow person in the profession. So I love that we have efforts to try to help with our horrid diversity problem (laughs) in the profession. You know, that's great that Georgia saw the need and they could only give it to probably one, if not a very few people. So they saw something Mm -hmm. in you that was very special. So, which which they were right. (laughs) But (laughs) I guess for the majority, how can we be better? How can we be more supportive? What uh, advice do you give to that aspect of things, especially going through school? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even the profession itself, it's hard enough. Like, we definitely do not need to be cutting each other down. So there's a lot of different things I would recommend. I would say in general, to your question about, like, what can the majority do? I, that That is the first step, right, is asking what can we do better? And so I, I think some people haven't even gotten there yet, which is crazy. <laughs> Some people yeah. don't even recognize that this is a problem. So I, I think that that is really step number one. Step number two is what what am I doing that could be contributing to the problem and, and really taking accountability and not taking it personally either, because at the end of the day, this is a, a systemic issue. And one person is not responsible for all of the harm. There are people out there that are pretty harmful people and, and can be responsible for a lot of harm, but they're still not responsible for all of the harm that is caused by systemic racism, prejudice, all around inequity that's present and does carry over into multiple aspects of healthcare, veterinary healthcare included. I think doing research is another big part and seeing what the numbers look like. And with that, also realizing that equity and inclusion is not just numbers. I think when we think of diversity, it 
is really focused on percentages of different types of people that are represented in this field. And representation is, is very much important, but with that is also creating an environment where people can feel comfortable enough to stay. And so I think long-term diversity really relies on strong equity and inclusion values. Asking is another big thing that, that the majority can do is what is going to make the marginalized communities feel more comfortable? You know, is it language? Is it, you know, sometimes it's language accessibility, for example, sometimes it's disability accommodations. So asking people what is going to be better for them and more conducive to their ability to work successfully and happily in the environment is also very important. There's a lot of resources out there that are considered, I guess, more general resources to read, uh, to watch, but they're still applicable to, again, to the uh, systemic inequities that are present, unfortunately, kind of ubiquitously <laughs> throughout uh, different, different fields. So there's a lot of organizations that are focused on you know, really empowering marginalized communities. I am happy to provide you know, their, their information as well and supporting those groups as well as groups like Chapter 8 as well that are trying to make a difference by providing you know, inclusive professional and community education opportunities as well as financial resources for marginalized communities that may be in need of, of pet care. There's a lot of different ways to kind of do better, I would say. But the first step is realizing that and re- recognizing that there is a problem and it's not a one-stop solution to everything. Yeah. The one that really hit on for me is that making a culture where you feel comfortable. Because mm-hmm. it, it sounded like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had a lot of moments where you didn't feel very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think for a variety of reasons as well. <laughs> yeah. It was like somebody understood one aspect of my identity, then they would unintentionally or intentionally come at, come at me with something else about my identity that they didn't agree with or didn't appreciate or really anything along those lines. And I, I think that it came across in in multiple different ways. Sometimes it was interactions with other students. Sometimes it was um, interactions with other professors. And none of it is acceptable, regardless of what stage you are in your career. It is important to to recognize that it's a problem for everybody, really. You know, I can't help but wonder if you are having those moments, why why did you say? Why didn't you like ask to get transferred or, mm-hmm. you know, what, what was it? I shouldn't have to go through extra effort to make other people comfortable because I am feeling uncomfortable. And that was, that was really it for me. Like it shouldn't have to be a different experience for me overall. Like I shouldn't have to go through more steps than everybody else does just because they are uncomfortable with trying to understand who I am. And I 
think that that is a lot of people's experiences that do come from marginalized communities as well. For me, what was really, really important is finding a good support system as well. I did have a good support system in veterinary school. Like I I have some really, really solid friends that we're still going strong. (laughs) And we met during times where we were kind of just all going through it. I mean, we had our own experiences with veterinary school itself being tough, but we also had like our own personal experiences going on too and becoming friends with other people from the communities that have similar experiences too um, was really, really important for me. And I, I'm just very thankful that they were there. Uh, there weren't a lot of us, but you know, the relationships that we did have made all the difference in the world. With that, also certain mentors as well. Um, so being able to speak on experiences, be heard, and also talk to people who wanted to see change as well. There are still some professors that I'm speaking with at UGA as well who, who want to see you know those changes happen. And so with with the bad, there is good as well. I think it's important to um, you know people will always say like take the good and leave the bad. I think you should take both because you can learn from the bad to make more good. Hopefully everything is a learning opportunity. So mm-hmm. you talked about finding your support system and and while there weren't many of you, it, it was a very strong support system. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that that's a little bit of what you, you're bringing into what you're doing now is creating support systems for mm-hmm for people in the profession to not only learn more, but have the community, which I I definitely feel like there is something about having your people, I call it your people, right? Your, your support system is how we get through life in general. Definitely. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. You mentioned the term mutual respect a couple of times Mm -hmm. And I think it it was even part of of what you were talking about early on in your career. Can you speak more to what does that mean to you and Mm -hmm. how how you saw it and how you're wanting to keep that going? When I was a kid, how I saw it was that (laughs) there are multiple different species that exist in this world. And we all play a part in creating an ecosystem that you know, does really rely on balance as well as mutual benefit often. So when I was a kid, I don't know if every kid sees this or not, but I really saw animals as a big part of, you know, creating a positive environment in this world and a big part of that balanced ecosystem with the human-animal bond that focuses on something that is more systemic, but scales it down to create this idea of respect between two parties and wanting to be able to uphold that and empower each other. That is something that kind of like created the foundation for me, but that has grown over time. What is between human to human is obviously different to what's between animal to animal and human to animal. But I think something that we can learn from animals is that ability to appreciate another being for its 
place in this world. And ultimately, I, I think about like what I thought about when I was a kid too. And I think that it helps provide some clarity sometimes. I mean, kids are smart. They, <laughs> they, they really like have it down with just making things so simple, but so real and so understandable. I think about that and about how I want to continue to work towards that, towards an environment where everybody can be appreciated. Everybody can be understood and heard for who they are um, in this world. Yeah, the word belonging, I think Mm -hmm. it does call upon a very basic but strong human need. And and that's kind of what I started to think about when you were talking about coming to a place where everyone can feel appreciated, understood, and that they can belong. Yeah, I agree. Belonging is a beautiful thing. I think community in general is a beautiful thing. It's really these grassroots concepts, I guess, they are the most translational to the different aspects of life. And I I think it's always important to kind of go back to those roots to realize what we can do better. Because what is at those roots would be would be community and would be belonging. These other terms I think have kind of developed over time, but ultimately what it goes back to is the ability to have community, the ability to belong, the ability to be able to respect one another. Not only are you working in a a direction for community within the veterinary profession, but you're also focusing it outside the profession. So the community with pet owners who Mm -hmm. also may not always feel like they belong in certain veterinary settings, which is sad mm-hmm. again for me to say, but do mm-hmm. you mind sharing a little bit more your focus on working with specific people in the pet owning community? Definitely. And I think that was a big part of why intersectionality was determined to be a component of the chapter eight of course, like my own personal experience, you know, having that intersectional identity and realizing that there isn't really a space where, where multiple aspects of identity can be appreciated, heard, and do feel like they can belong. But also with that kind of focusing on the intersection of, of different communities that are involved in veterinary medicine, but may not necessarily be part of the veterinary professional group. Pet owners are a big part of veterinary medicine. I mean, they're like half of the <laughs> half of veterinary medicine, right? At least, um, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we wouldn't we wouldn't be vet med if pet owners didn't exist, as well as if veterinarians and other veterinary professionals, veterinary technicians, veterinary assistants, bribes, practice managers, all you name it. It was really confusing to me that there wasn't a lot of groups out there focused on the interse- intersection of both the veterinary profession and as well as pet owners. And the thing about being marginalized is that it doesn't matter necessarily what career you're in, you know, if you're on the pet owner side or if you're in the veterinary professional side, being marginalized, you are still going to face certain mutual experiences. 
And so I think that intersection is really, really important to highlight. And that is a, a big part of uh, chapter eight. It's also a big part of these other organizations, which I've recently founded too. So I recently founded in- Inclusive Vet, which is a relief veterinary services company focused on providing services to um, underrepresented owned or managed clinics, um, as well as low cost clinics, trying to work with different types of marginalized communities based on either socioeconomic status or other types of uh, marginalized communities too. I think that that is really important to get involved with because one, representation does matter. You know, it is important to be able to be served by people that do represent you. But also it's important that like we as veterinarians can understand the experiences that marginalized communities are are going through. And so Inclusive Vet was really founded to try and highlight representation in the relief world, but also to enhance representation of access to care in the pet ownership world too. So that is Inclusive Vet. I do have experience in urgent care and the for-profit urgent care world. And that was good for a bit. Um, You know, I definitely learned a lot in terms of what is accessible and what is not accessible out there for pet owners uh, when it comes to illness, urgent care, and specialty care. And that really motivated me to found Vetbulance Community Care, which is a low-cost urgent care focused on providing early entrepreneurship as well as leadership opportunities to underrepresented individuals. So uh, kind of a two-pronged approach, again, where we're focusing on marginalized communities in the pet parent world as well as in the veterinary professional world. So that's kind of all the different ways that I am really trying to apply the concept of intersectionality between pet ownership as, as well as the veterinary profession when it comes to marginalized communities and access to care. And I'm looking forward to seeing how, how these different organizations grow. How, how can we do better outreach to mm-hmm. pet owners of, you know, the, the people you're trying to target? And I guess, mm-hmm. you know, this, to start, take the previous advice of making your environment feel welcoming. So, so Mm -hmm. when they do walk in, you know, you can at least start there, but what about if we want to go a little bit bigger, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like yourself, how do you market? How do you connect to those individuals Mm -hmm. that they, they know that they will be welcomed. They will feel like they belong. There are people who they are that passionate about helping them and their relationship with their pet. How do you let them know that there are options for them, especially if they have financial concerns, Mm -hmm. but also again, because you never know how much money somebody has, right? Walking in, you probably have great stories from urgent care of that. How how can we be better at outreach to let people know Mm -hmm. that there are options where they belong? It's important to know what nonprofit or low-cost clinics are present in your community and establishing a relationship with them is very important as well on the practice level basis of informing the community of what opportunities they have. You work at a clinic that isn't a low-cost clinic, then 
being able to know what opportunities are out there for families that may not be able to afford the care is important. And I think that, again, ties in with our responsibility to promote public health and do less harm to the community is being able to know what resources are out there if we can't help. So I think that's a big one, like getting involved with the organizations that are doing the work is is another big one. If we individually are trying to do better to make a more inclusive environment, having education both in Spanish and English goes a long way. And there's a lot of resources out there as well uh, to be able to provide both tailoring hours towards when people in the community are really able to come in is another big one. And trying to partner with organizations that are trying to help with financial resourcing, whether it be like grants or other nonprofit organizations that can more directly work with you. I think doing that research ahead of time would be really helpful instead of, you know, waiting for there to be an urgent situation. And then at that point, the pet parent, it, it's on them to really like try and like scramble for funding and such. And there's not a whole lot of resources out there to show them like what is the right way to go about applying to because a lot of these application processes are very, very strict and therefore kind of go against the idea of being accessible to the people that really need it the most. So I hope that that kind of answers the question on the practicing level basis. No, I think that was a fantastic answer. All of those are very doable. And Mm. and sometimes it is that step that makes the world of difference for someone. Mm -hmm. Like you talked about the translations in a different, in their own language. So they, Mm -hmm. they have something I was like, Oh, I know that I can read that. Yeah. Um, So thank you. So yeah. What else for the student side of things? I think for the student side of things, getting involved with the organizations uh, like the affinity organizations that are involved, for example, like uh, Chapter 8, Possibilities is another one, the Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association. There's the Latinx BMA, Asian American Veterinary Medical Professional Association, National Association of Black Veterinarians. There's a lot of them, as, as there should be, that can really help out with uh, providing different types of uh, resources. And uh, I'm really happy to see how many different organizations there are and seeing different organizations collaborate too. It's a really, really beautiful thing. And I would say that's, you know, one step for students. Chapter eight, right now we are working on getting our application process set up for a funded externship focused on access to care. The goal is to help um, individuals from underrepresented communities, marginalized communities, be able to have education experiences that they don't have to pay for. And so that's going to be open to pre-veterinary, pre-veterinary technician, veterinarian, that technician students um, that come from marginalized communities that would like, uh, you know, an externship opportunity in the access to care realm. And we have worked really, really hard to collect funding to be able to offer that And we are working on getting our first application uh, set up, as well as first round of externs through. So we're really, really excited to see that happen. And 
always looking for funding as well to keep that going because I think it's a really, really important thing for education to be financially accessible to uh, merchants communities. I think part of that is you know not having to pay for a voluntary experience. When it, when I was collecting hours for my veterinary application process, there's a lot of money that I spent on gas. And I know, I'm sure that you're familiar with that too. There's a lot of situations where people may be living in the city and they can't get to a farm and get, you know, large animal experience. So they might have to you know, drive out to the point where they need to actually stay there to get that experience. So, you know, that that's part of why we're doing what we're doing as well. But this specific externship opportunities and, and access to care externship opportunities are giving people from marginalized communities the opportunity to work with marginalized communities and understand how care can be contextualized to different situations and along the spectrum of preventative care, urgent care, and general practice as well. I love that. Are you working with universities? We are trying to work with universities to do that. Yes. That actually reminds me. I mean, I actually email somebody back about that. <laughs> we are definitely open to talking to different universities. So if there's anybody that you know of, please let me know. And I'm happy to talk to them as well. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I almost want to make that mandatory. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> what a... You know, one of the themes that I have, whether it's listening to people's career journeys or just if I'm giving pieces of advice is never be afraid to try something. Mm -hmm. So you never know if like, you know, you had no idea what going to Georgia would be like and appreciating the experience, Mm -hmm. but you never know if going to work in a rural area is something you actually really enjoy doing. And we need that. We need people in these access to care kind of roles. And mm-hmm. so if we aren't allowing people to experience it, you're it, it's even harder, I think, to recruit. I mean, what about if somebody really loves it? But I, I just see so much benefit from it. So I, I hope that goes well. I, I, I will see Thank what you. I can do. I hope we can spread that. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Any anything helps really in terms of letting the public know what's going on, whether that be just awareness or partnership, sponsorship, like really anything helps because it's very much a collaborative effort in order to be successful. Yeah. Anything that you want to share that we haven't been able to to talk about yet? I think the one thing that I forgot to mention is that that VetViewance, the low-cost community urgent care, is going to start here in October. We're going to open our first location in October of this year. And how we work is by leveraging our relationships with existing low-cost preventative care clinics. So we are able to kind of provide a spectrum of care, therefore, on a low-cost basis and do so also by, with our model, we reduce impact on the environment, reduce financial impact. And so I'm really, really excited about that. After our first year, we are going to uh, take an intern through the partnership between Chapter 8 and Vet 
to be able to offer an early entrepreneurship and medical leadership opportunity to someone from an underrepresented community. So I'm really, really excited about that. And I'm overall excited to see uh, that VLANs grow as well. One, because of the impact on the community to be able to provide you know, accessible care, but also because a big part of making this profession accessible is making it financially accessible. And so being able to offer you know, an early entrepreneurship opportunity at very low investment for a veterinarian, which would be ultimately their time, not any sort of a financial input, would go a long way to make this field more financially accessible and would go a long way to help pay off loans sooner rather than later too. So I'm really, really excited to see uh, where that balance is going and excited to see the partnership between Chapter 8 and that balance grow too. Yeah. You have a lot going on. So <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Everything's connected though. So yeah. I think that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but yes, I wouldn't have it any other way. Honestly, I'm really, really happy. And, and honestly, I see the, the blessed in your background and that's how I'm feeling. I feel, mm-hmm. I feel blessed with a really amazing opportunity. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Well, I have just a final four wrap-up questions for you. And the first one is, what is something that people may get wrong about you? There can be a lot of assumptions made about people like me, I guess. Typically, those assumptions aren't (laughs) going to necessarily be correct in terms of, I'm usually always open to having a conversation just because I believe in something that may be different to you or may not agree doesn't mean that I wouldn't be open to having a conversation. Of course, it has to be a respectful one, but I would say that sometimes that is not what people expect. But yeah, I I would say that that's probably the most like surprised reactions that that I've had from people is like, I wouldn't have expected that we could have had this conversation and I just tell them as long as you're respectful, like that's really what matters, you know, at the end of the day. That's a good one. I'm really excited to, to ask this one. So do you have like a hidden skill or interest? I'm a very open person. I don't know <laughs> that like I have anything that's hidden in terms of skills or interests. I really, really love cooking a lot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've thought about just like, leaving that and becoming a chef (laughs) I I do like art a lot I feel like I'm very science brained but I really like art a lot my partner is an artist and I I really like to write I did do some open mic nights when I was in veterinary school I like to sing as well so maybe those are things that people didn't know but I guess like I, I guess I'm not like hiding it or anything like that either. <laughs> Hidden to to us who yeah. may not know you yet. So yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I love that. And in fact, I even wrote it down because I was like, oh, it stood out to me. You said art in yeah. one of the things you listed. And I, I wrote it down even. So that's what I was kind of hoping you'd bring up was something around yeah. art because yeah. I I think that everyone that's a big statement. Uh, most people mm-hmm. have this 
need or drive for some type of creative outlet. Now, what that looks like, I think is different, but I think it's very important to find what that is and and make sure you have time for it. So that's why I love pulling in that art and that creative side of things Mm -hmm. into what we do, because ultimately I think veterinary medicine, there's a lot of creativity that we need to do. Oh yeah. In medicine. So I, I think just to, you know, allow for that more, I think is really important. So thank you. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. I think that that kind of again falls into the beauty of intersectionality is, you know, really being able to highlight the intersection of science and art and therefore the duality of its connection. Yeah. Third question is, is there anything on your bucket list that you would like to do? On a personal basis, I definitely really want to travel a lot more. I think like that really got limited because of COVID. And then, you know, the aftermath of that is fear and anxiety of traveling as well. Definitely, I would like to go to a lot of different places, but I think traveling and trying different foods and meeting different people from different cultures across the world is going to be an important one for me. It's a very broad bucket list thing, but it's something that I want to make sure I can prioritize regardless of work, how busy work is and such. I think that that is still important to me and something that I want to keep going with as well. Nice. And the last question is, what is something you are most grateful for? It's hard to narrow it down to like one thing. (laughs) Um, What's the first thing that popped into your mind? The first thing that popped up into my mind was my dogs because he's right there. (laughs) (laughs) They're always lurking. (laughs) But I was thinking like more broadly, like my support system. I'm really thankful for everybody that is a part of my chosen and biological family. I'm really very, very thankful for, for them. Thank you for joining us today on Vent Life Reimagined. To find any resources from this episode, you can check out the show notes below. And to support the podcast, you can subscribe, leave a great reading and review, and share with friends and colleagues. Your support fuels our mission to empower the veterinary community. So stay tuned for another inspiring episode next week. Take care.